You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 13. This is Writing Excuses, Beautiful Prose versus Purple Prose. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're... I don't have enough oh. words to be purple. Come on. <laughs> we were all waiting for it. I, I was busy writing in the spreadsheet. <laughs> all right, purple prose. Um, let's talk about purple prose. This is one of those accusations that authors love to fling at each other. Um, you're being purple. And the truth of it is we usually are. Uh, this is something that most authors will lapse into in their career. So don't feel bad if you do this and you're like, oh, I was purple in this chapter. We're all purple on occasion, and it's a guilty pleasure for a lot of us. We want to talk about what it is, how to avoid it, and specifically why it's bad. So what is purple prose? Dan, you have an example for us. The second example. <laughs> I, I do. The second example? Yeah. Um, okay, so just to get you into the swing of things, um, one of the classic lines of American literature is it was a dark and stormy night, which is not by itself purple, but... It's kind of held up as this example. And so um, there's a contest every year called the Bulwer-Lytton Contest, named after uh, the author who wrote Dark and Stormy Night. And this is one of the 2016 dishonorable mentions, which I think is beautiful. Penguins, damnable penguins, Cooperman muttered bitterly, staring hard into the maelstrom of cheap gin and bargain basement vermouth, swirling hopelessly in the lowball glass he held in his pale, doughy hand, 
the shards of rapidly melting ice crystals cruelly reminding him of those endless winter nights in the Antarctic weather station, and of Quaquina with her lithe, lubricious figure and tuxedo-feathered form. So, <laughs> not only was that purple, but the alliteration. Yes. So, yeah. So early on, we were reading some of these, and Howard's like, "Wait, is that purple? What? What does it mean?" The thing is, purple, there is no scientific definition of it. Um, there are lots of things. It's more this like, like <laughs> it's I It's like know obscenity. It. I know it when I see it. <laughs> I know it, it when I see it. Um, I, the, the word actually, the phrase mm-hmm. comes from um, the Romans, actually. Roman mm-hmm. poet named Horace, who in the year, what was it? Like way B.C., um, he was complaining about how some writers would add extra unnecessary words and long words into their writing the same way that people would sew purple patches into their clothing as a way of pretending they were richer than they really were. Excellent. Um, I did not know that. Well, now you know that. (laughs) You have schooled us. One of the the things that that points out is that, at least in, in his definition, the problem was not with purple prose itself, but with patches of purple prose cropping right. up in an otherwise normal story, which I used to do all the time. And I remember at one point in our writing group, when we were first starting, Brandon said, okay, Dan, you can't be Gene Wolfe no, for no. two sentences and then be yourself again for the rest of the chapter. That was my editor saying it to me. Oh, really? And I shared that in writing group. <laughs> um, in an example where I thought you, but yeah. yeah. No, so I kind of look at purple prose as having kind of three categories, right? Category one is what Dan just uh, explained. You have prose that breaks the flow Mm -hmm. by drawing attention to itself in an otherwise um, more straightforward narrative. The second definition, though, and this is the one that I wanted to explain to Howard, is really good writing in the wrong place will dilute the power of the writing during emotional moments. And this is why these examples, if you go read on this contest, they're taking mundane things and describing them like the powerful moment of description that you need more during a turning point or more during you know, a moment where you need those words to bring you power. The third is overuse of bad metaphors, overuse of words that mm-hmm. are just inserted to be extra long, or overly, you know, thesaurizing. Yeah. And those are three separate things. And the middle one's interesting because it can be good writing in the wrong place. And the first one's interesting because it can actually be elevating a little bit, but breaking flow. And mm-hmm. then the third one is just... The third one's just yeah. ridiculous. And the third one, this is the other example that I wanted to read here. Um, a lot of the old pulp writers did this all the time. Robert E. Howard was famous for it. Nobody had eyes in a Robert Howard story. They had orbs of vision and this kind of thing. (laughs) And so here's a beautiful sentence uh, from Robert E. Howard's The Eye of Argon. The disemboweled mercenary crumpled from his saddle and sank to the clouded sward, sprinkling the parched dust with crimson droplets of escaping life fluid. Life fluid? Life fluid. Okay, Um, I have to stop you. The Eye of Argon is not by Robert Howard. Isn't it though? No. Is that from the Eye of Argon? Yes, that I, is. The Eye of Argon is famously um, oh, like is it a, misattributed. Yes, it is. Oh, uh, it's okay. by a guy named Jim Thighs or Thies oh, um, or something. Oh, a parody of Robert It's Eager? not a parody. It is a novel that he wrote, <laughs> okay. but it's um, it came out in the seventies and it was meant to be. You'll often find dramatic readings of Eye of Argon 
um, oh, okay. at science fiction. It's kind of like the Ishtar or whatever of it's this huge thing mm-hmm. that people have picked up on. So it okay. is not Howard. Let's make sure we got well, it right. Okay. Howard did this Howard all the time. Howard did this, which right. is why the guy copying him. Yeah. And one of the things to point out about this is that the first half of that sentence is not bad. Mm. It's when he gets to the part where he just he needs to say he was bleeding and instead said, sprinkled the parched dust with crimson droplets of escaping life fluid. Like, you don't need all of those extra sentences. They're not serving any purpose other than calling attention to themselves. <laughs> the reason I asked when I walked into the room is that this is a tool used for good comedic purpose all the time. Um, and so... And, and that's why the line is fuzzy for me. Um, that particular one wouldn't come across as funny, but if you put a bad metaphor in it, mm-hmm. uh, if you put a bad metaphor in it, it, it could it could be hilarious. You know, crimson droplets of escaping, uh, you know, Life magenta yeah. magenta toner only with a little bit of uh, cyan in it, too, to make sure it's red. And then suddenly, with wow, that yeah. went to a crazy place. I mean, I used this for laughs in the entire Reckoner series that mm-hmm. I wrote, which is mm-hmm. uh, characters bad at metaphors. Um, I want to transition this, though, and now we've, we can define it the best we can. I think we really have. The question is, how do you avoid this? Um, how do you fix it if you're doing it? Sometimes you just have to read it out loud and see if you laugh at yourself. In, in in some ways, it's it's a fresh set of eyes, I would say, whether you're doing it yourself by reading your own work out loud or some other way so you can read your work fresh or get someone else to read it. And does it really stand out to them as overdone or over the top? You know, sometimes that's the best way to do it because, as you said, in one case, it's in the context of everything else that's there. Is it just a color that stands out as horribly obnoxious as compared to the rest of the palette that you've created. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I would agree with that 100%. In fact, the things to be really careful about, about are when you're starting a book or starting a chapter um, because this is where you're trying to get yourself into the scene. And a lot of times, particularly new writers, they're like, I must make my first few paragraphs memorable. And they work on those paragraphs so long that they balloon and blossom into something very purple. Uh, oftentimes, where purple prose comes from is when you're trying too hard. You're trying to be impressive. And the problem is you want to try those things. You do want to practice this. Um, If someone says your prose is purple, it's not, I mean, it it can kind of be a compliment because you're trying, you're figuring it out. Instead of having a few scenes like this, though, you want to adapt um, some more literary styling to your prose, if this is what you want to do, and you want to read people who are really good at it and elevate all of your prose by a couple of inches rather than trying to put the uh, one or two paragraphs on stilts so they mm-hmm. are 20 feet high. One okay. of the rules that I always tell myself as I'm writing is that, uh, and this is just my own rule, metaphors are better than similes. Mm. And, you know, for example, the opening line of Neuromancer, the sky was the color of a television tuned to the dead channel. That's a metaphor. If he had broken that out and expanded it, the sky was dark and gray like a television tuned to a dead channel, that's automatically worse. And I find whenever I am using like A, I'm trying to re-explain something I've already said, and that is part of that ballooning. You know, I've noticed this in my own writing too, um, the, the cutting out the likes, which again, you're not going to be able to do all the time, but when I do, the phrase turns better. Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer better stories. 
A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week, which is The Devil's Daughter. The Devil's Daughter is book one of the Hidden Sins series by Katie Robert. And it's about an FBI agent working with a local sheriff to catch a serial killer. And part of the reason why he needs her is because she is the key to investigating a cult. She's actually grown up as part of that cult. Her mother's the leader. Uh, I so can't wait to read this book. Well, I I should divulge. I got an arc. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So it's sitting on my bookshelf as my reward for finishing my next manuscript. Excellent. Who wrote it? Uh, Katie Robert. And the release date was January 24th. So it is out there and ready for all of you to go enjoy. Perfect. So let's, um, I want to dig into this further. Uh, Ways that you have fixed purple prose in your own writing, um, ways that you can be aware maybe if you're being too purple. One of the um, ways that they talk about it in literary circles, in classes, in university is watching the adverbs. Uh, Adverbs, adjectives, watching and seeing how often you're using these, but it turns into this thing where students are like, I can never use these. Well, some writers never use them and that's their style. Most language uses adjectives and adverbs. You just have to be using the right one and not searching to modify every noun or every verb. This is a, a, a catch thing. If you look and you say, oh, you know, and that, that sample you read from I of Argon, it's never just a thing. It is a cloudy thing. It is a, it is mm-hmm. a gleaming thing. If every noun or verb gets a modifier, you're going to start to feel purple really quickly. I found that uh, the... The adverb question, uh, for me anyway, uh, when the narrator is using adverbs, you know, when, when narration is using adverbs, um, I'm compressing the storytelling perhaps too much. Uh, the example that I use is surreptitiously. Uh, you don't say he crossed the street surreptitiously. You say he crouched behind a can, you know, looked left, looked right. Uh, and then, you know, quickly made his way across the street. And now we can see that it is yeah. surreptitious mm-hmm. behavior because the, but if we're pressed for time, 
right. then, then, we use, then we use the adverb. Um, the other thing I would point in that is that sometimes you can replace the adverb and the verb with an actual verb who, that means, you know, yeah. crossed quickly can become ran or scampered. But that can lead to purple prose also, because if it starts calling attention to itself, if people are always scampering instead of just walking, then people are looking at your prose. Well, and this is a case, the, the, the scene that I am imagining is a case where, you know, he's, he's not just walking He's moving across the street in a specific way because there's a story purpose behind it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, if there's a story purpose behind it, the adverb is really unlikely to work because we need more information. We shouldn't have compressed that piece. Romance is actually very um, prone to purple prose. In, and it can be subjective, right? Like some readers may find it very purpley and other readers may absolutely love it. And I'm reminded of a scene from Anne of Green Gables, the television series, the old PBS one um, with Megan Follows, where she like falls back after having read this incredibly dramatic romantic scene and like hugs the book to her chest. And then when she tries writing herself um, and they add like Rowling's reliable baking soda at the end of it, she's horrified that they've taken this beautiful purple prose ridden scene of hers and the only contest that it could win or the only publishing that it could get was for a Rolling of Reliable baking powder <laughs> contest. Um, it's just it, romance tends towards it because you want to be super romantic and super dramatic. Mm-hmm. And the question is, do you want it all the time? That's like eating chocolate cake. That's uber decadent every meal of the day. It's more— You know, it's to, uh, the word sexy, okay, uh, you don't get to use that word in a romance because that word isn't going to make me feel anything. You need to describe what is happening there so that I can have, uh, so that I can have that experience. So I can tell, oh yeah, wow, that is sexy. And a little bit goes a long way. I think is mm-hmm. is yeah. one of the things to do if you're going to be expressive about something, do it judiciously so it has impact. You know, yeah. one of the things you'll notice if you read. The very stylized writers who are very, very good at this, uh, Ursula Le Guin and people like this, is some people have that kind of luscious, decadent chocolate cake prose, that, but most of them are just really good at using the right concrete word powerfully in the right moment. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite from, um, from contemporary fantasy is when Pat Rothfuss goes on on this idea of it was a silence of three parts. And when you read his scenes like this, he's not using these big words. He's not using, but he's making a really cool metaphor in this. It was a silence of three parts. That sentence itself, you say, wait, how can silence be split in three? It is conceptually beautiful the way he describes that without ever going into adverbs, adjectives, long words, making Mm -hmm. things like chocolate cake. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, writing like um, chocolate and, cake. And, and a lot of the, you know, the people that we really call out as great writers are the ones who use very spare language. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my very favorite books is All the Pretty Horses by Cormac McCarthy. And if you've read McCarthy, he's very, you know, Hemingway, as minimal as possible. But there's one part in the middle, and it's about a page and a half, that is just gloriously lurid, mm-hmm. where he's describing a herd of horses run across a mesa. And it is colorful and gorgeous and stands out precisely because it is surrounded by this very spare language okay. that gives it meaning. That sounds like the opposite of what we've been telling people to do. So why does it work for him? Well, it works for him because, first of all, like I said, he, he hasn't prepared us for it. Um, you know, he is, he's keeping the language very tight and, you know, he never says more than he has to say. 
and see, but that could very easily for a writer for turn a writer, into turn for into, a new writer yeah. this sort of thing where now I'm going to do this flowery scene, which is exactly what we told them not to do. Now I'm agreeing that this is something yeah. that you do occasionally, but well, why? The the reason it works in context of all the pretty horses is that the character itself is he is emotionally repressed. He doesn't know how to connect to people. He doesn't know what he's doing in life. And the only time he really feels happy is when he's watching horses run. And so you get that emotional reaction when the language suddenly blossoms out. And, you're, and you, you see that scene in a different way than you see the rest of the book. And so it works. Yeah, that, and that's, for me, that is, the, that, is the, that is the perfect way to use words for, you know, double and triple purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your choice of your choice of words really, really matters. Um, I use purple prose from time to time with the narrator in Schlock Mercenary, where I am giving a description and then it stops and we go straight to dialogue. And sometimes the juxtaposition between the end of the description and the dialogue is it set, it it is itself you know, jarring and abrupt and is part of the joke. Um, I watched the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, all four of them recently, and realized- Aren't there more now? uh, There's just the four right now. They're maybe making more, but that's not what I have on Um, (laughs) Blu-ray. The the character of Hector Barbosa speaks purple and the other characters don't. And it's, it's really kind of beautiful. And, you know, our introduction to him- uh, Elizabeth says, I'm here to negotiate the cessation, cessation of hostilities against Port Royal, Barbosa. There are a lot of long words in there, miss. We're not but humble pirates. What is it you want? I want you to leave and never come back. I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. Means no. <laughs> That's our introduction to that character. And throughout the movies, when he opens his mouth, he goes purple. Uh, in the fourth movie, he even rhymed at one point, and uh, he's spontaneous poetry, and they get away with it because it's characterization. Mm-hmm. And because is, he owns it. Oh, and Jeffrey yeah. Rush. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you'd... Now, who was the character out of the Harry Potter series that was the teacher that came in? Right, right, oh, right. Gosh. Oh, yeah, the, the author. second book, mm-hmm. Fauntleroy or whatever Fauntleroy? his name was. Mm-hmm. It's not, that's not his name. I'm hesitant to but. say Fauntleroy because that's an FDA um, advisory person but <laughs> uh, but that character um it, it just that's what i think of when you're lockhart. doing lockhart yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um that's what i think of when you're using purple prose on purpose to set a character apart that's right. when it can work and it can totally and again this is a matter of it's one of those things that if you are competent as a writer you can start to own this and use it things that would be purple in someone else's book will not be purple in yours because of your styling, because you mm-hmm. are in control of it. Um, it's just like how the same paints in the hands of one person, in the hands of me, create something that looks like it was done by a three-year-old, and in the hands of someone else, it's this gorgeous piece. We do have to stop here, though. Oh, no, um, I have yes. one more Okay, book. you can have one. Go okay. ahead. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so Jacqueline Carey mm-hmm. is an amazing author who writes beautiful, beautiful prose that just borders on purple mm-hmm. in her Kushiel's Dart series. But the thing that she's setting in this world is that it is a world that appreciates beauty and love above all things. And, and so these repeated phrases throughout is love as thou wilt, 
All knowledge is worth having. And right from the very beginning, she has this incredibly beautiful, beautiful prose that in any other book by any other writer would be purple, like straight out purple. But because she said it somehow, it works for her entire series. Tolkien is good at this too, I feel. Um, And you read some of these, read Nora Jameson. I think she is fantastic at it. Um, And you'll begin to see if you're paying attention to it and practicing it yourself, how you can do this. Um, We're going to go ahead and we're going to pitch at Howard some homework to us. I'm pitching the homework at them. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, (laughs) One of the writing rules that is so often often read to us is, you know, put away the thesaurus, you know, just, just write using your words. Here's your homework. Take a paragraph that you've written, uh, get out the thesaurus, and replace as many of the words in that paragraph as you can. Break it. Paint it so purple that uh, the, the color purple feels ashamed to have its name associated <laughs> with it. Um, just go overboard and then take a step back and look at it and ask yourself why it broke. Um, sometimes the way to figure out how something is broken is to deliberately go too far. <laughs> and this is your excuse to take it too far. Excellent. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, I, I look forward to reading all of those yeah. on the Yeah, post those, post those for us. We want to read those. Yes. This has been Writing Excuses. Oh, you know what? What if they took paragraphs from our writing. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, that's it. Yes, a, do that. Want, you can do your own, but yes. if you want to take something from one of our books, please. Anything by Piper J. Drake, yeah. I would love to see you take a paragraph from one of my things. Preferably one of the PG-rated scenes. <laughs> if you can take something from one of our books, say that you've broken it and it's actually just verbatim <laughs> and you can trick people. That would be fantastic. Yes, well. I want to see this. Please do. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is this is going to be. Okay, this awful. was supposed to be homework, not a social media game. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay. Okay, you're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing excuses is a Dragon Steel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.